So I wanted to share this morning from the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Um, Paul is the author of this letter to uh, his colleague Timothy, uh, who was serving at the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is thought to have or Ephesus is in what we call Turkey today. Um, and um, Paul had already written one letter to Timothy, and um, this is his his second. So starting in um, chapter one, verse one, um, Paul greets Timothy, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And as I read this, uh, there are several things that stick out just this morning. One is... <coughs> As I remember your tears, when a man cries, it's serious. It's something that he feels deeply. And so um, for Paul to recount that there were tears um, is, um, you know, indicates sort of the, the uh, crises and um, situations that Paul and Timothy had been through. And that is, I'm sure, what, what formed their relationship. Um, nothing like a crisis or a hard time uh, to go through with um, builds a, a friendship. Um, and then, of course, in verse 7, where God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. You know, um, I think in this letter, as well as in the first, first Timothy, that uh, Paul... Uh, repeatedly encourages Timothy. Um, Timothy was a timid uh, personality, um, had a timid personality. Um, and he was also a young leader at this time. And uh, the church at Ephesus was somewhat large, and I'm sure it was quite a, an overwhelming feeling that he had <laughs> being put in charge of, of uh, the work at Ephesus. And so, um, Paul was, of course, a missionary 
and apostle, and uh, he went to many cities, including Ephesus, and in each he found locals um, to put in charge of the church that was there or that was started. And Paul appointed Timothy for this in Ephesus. And Paul was a personal mentor for Timothy. And this relationship they had is especially revealed in, in 2 Timothy. Um, Paul dealt again and again with the problem of false doctrines in the Ephesian church and in other churches. But that is mentioned also in this book. Uh, 2 Timothy was Paul's last book before he died. Um, and when Paul wrote it, he was in prison in Rome. Um, I have been to Rome, and there is a place where they say this is where Paul was held, and I went there just to see it. Um, not sure it's 100% accurate, <laughs> but um, it was a hole in the ground. Um, basically, they had dug a tunnel in the dirt, I mean, dug a tunnel in the rock, and there were these two chambers, um, and one was thought to be where, where Paul was held. Um, a dark and dreary place for sure. Um, and so, um, in Second Timothy, uh, verse, uh, chapter one, verse sixteen, Paul actually mentions his chains, and he was literally there in in prison. And also, although some of the details are hard to determine, uh, the timeline seems to go something like this: at the end of the book of Acts. Paul was under house arrest in Rome, but he was able to receive guests and preach to them. At some point, he was released and resumed his ministry, but later he was arrested again and charged with a crime uh, and sent to Rome for trial. Um, this time he was tried and, and condemned to death, and he was um, beheaded under the orders of uh, Emperor, the wicked Emperor Nero. It's thought to be around um, 66 AD. Um, and so uh, at the time that 2 Timothy was written, um, the church was in kind of a crisis. Um, in AD 64, there was a big fire in Rome. And um, though there's no basis for this, the uh, Emperor Nero blamed the fire on Christians. And so after that, um, being identified as a Christian was somewhat of a, a dangerous thing. Um, and there was a wave of, of persecution against the Christians that started after this um, big fire and that burned a lot of the Rome, Roman capital. And also, as I mentioned, there were, at the same time, um, some false teachings within the church in uh, Ephesus. And um, Paul saw all this developing from um, uh, his prison cell in, in Rome and sought to reach out to the contacts that he had to address these, these false teachings. Um, Paul had been virtually abandoned in Rome um, after he was condemned to death, he didn't get a lot of visitors. Um, also, Timothy represented, as I've already mentioned, the up-and-coming next generation uh, of leadership. Um, Paul would be an old man by this time, 
that he was writing the second letter to Timothy. Uh, and Timothy's was much younger, perhaps in his 20s. Um, he loved Paul deeply and had been with him in many difficult situations. Paul first met Timothy and his family uh, on his visit to Lystra in Galatia. Uh, Timothy was probably a teenager at that time. Um, his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois became believers and members of the church there in Lystra. Um, they were Jewish, but uh, Timothy's father was Greek um, and probably deceased when Paul returned five years later to recruit Timothy to join him uh, on his missionary team. So according to Acts 16, Timothy was a young man with a sensitive, emotional, and somewhat shy personality. He was no doubt overwhelmed by the responsibilities being given to him. And Paul's final letter is a passing of the torch um, from one generation to the next. <coughs> Timothy had joined Paul on his second missionary journey around 48 AD. And as he traveled with Paul, he saw firsthand what Paul did, heard his doctrine over and over as he taught and preached about faith, love, and perseverance. Timothy grew to know and embrace Paul's theology and his doctrinal convictions he agreed with. Um, he learned that at the heart of all genuine Christian theology is God, the Father, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he came to be grounded in the fact that the gospel is centered on the death and resurrection of Christ, and Christ is the only way that men and women can come into a true eternal relationship with God. But Timothy also saw the more personal side. He, followed, he saw how Paul lived, he saw how he made decisions, and he saw how he determined to use his time. He learned Paul's purpose for living, namely to glorify God and his Son, Jesus Christ. And Timothy began to love the church, as Paul did, and had compassion for those that were held in darkness and in sin. And he saw the way Paul responded um, with patience and perseverance to the difficulties and the fact um, that the apostle did not <coughs> waver in his commitment to Christ, uh, despite um, Paul's encountering of persecution and affliction. <coughs> It seems that Timothy had a tendency to retreat from the front lines of serving Christ. He was rather shy and timid, and on at least one occasion, not in the best of health. His relative youthfulness caused him to be a bit unsure of himself when difficult issues required confident leadership. And once Paul had to write uh, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 16.10, it says, Now if Timothy comes to you, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Paul knew that the somewhat rowdy Corinthians might run roughshod over this sometimes insecure personality. But Timothy was a changed man uh, after this letter. Um, you'll see uh, that in the beginning he may have been shy and timid, but um, became bold and full of courage. Um, as Paul sat chained in a Roman dungeon awaiting execution. He knew that he had to hand off the torch to Timothy 
And so he wrote this final letter to Timothy to keep running the race in spite of opposition and difficulties. And church leaders have to look to the future and plan how they will pass the torch even today. Um, I can remember a song we did in Crossway called The Mission. Uh, it makes that point. In that drama, we pass the torch from a father to a son at the end. Uh, some say the Christian movement is always one generation from extinction. Uh, I don't think it's really that fragile. It's 2013, and the gospel is still spreading after 2,000 years. Um, God always has a plan and continues his work on earth. God remains faithful. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus. We must do what we can so that the next generation believes in him as well. We must pass the truth along because we will not be here forever. And as even as the days become darker, um, it's tempting to give up, but... Uh, this book reminds us that the darker the night, the brighter the light shines. It's always too soon to quit. Paul had been arrested before and later released, and he might have thought this would happen again, but he knew it was possible that it would not. And he wrote the book of Second Timothy <coughs> to encourage him to live with courage and fight the good fight. Paul had worked hard. He'd spoken to great crowds in many, many places like Athens and Jerusalem. He had traveled far and wide to Asia Minor and started churches and visited existing churches to teach them more. And he had sailed the seas and traveled great distances over land. He preached on the streets of Corinth and in many places correcting new believers, preaching and teaching the gospel. But now he wanted to make sure the message goes on after he was gone and make sure that Timothy knew what he needed to do. Looking at the whole book, Second uh, Timothy reminds us that the gospel is worth the battle, that God is faithful to equip us and strengthen us and uphold the truth of his word. Chapter 1 tells us how Paul begins to pass the torch. Um, he does it in a very personal way, um, telling Timothy of his confidence in him and calling him to join Paul in standing strong, even if it means suffering for the sake of the gospel, like Paul had done. And we can summarize Paul's message in five simple statements. Number one is remember where you came from. If you look at the first few verses of first Tim 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, it says, I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul's first appeal to Timothy is, to remember his strong spiritual heritage. And we know this goes back at least two generations. <coughs> Every child wants to know where they came from, who their parents were, what they did, and what they believed. We all have a heritage, a family tree, 
We all have a spiritual history, whether good or bad. We are Christians because someone influenced us to Christ. No one comes completely on his own. We all have others who have an influence on us and help us to come to the place where we put our trust in Christ. I remember 40 years ago um, spending the night at my grandparents' house in Indiana, and my grandmother came to the room where my sister and I always slept and led us in a simple prayer at bedtime. And we didn't pray at home when it was time to go to bed. <laughs> and it was the now I lay me down to sleep prayer that you probably heard from your grandmother. But it says, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I didn't really understand why she did that. Um, but many years later, um, but for many years, uh, my grandmother prayed for me and for all of her grandchildren um, that we would be saved. And my grandmother died several years ago, but it encourages me when I think about her praying for me all those years. And I'm sure Timothy was blessed to remember where he came from as well. I notice in this book that Paul does not complain about his situation. He states it matter-of-factly, um, but he believes that he's where God wants him to be, even in jail. Paul was obviously delighted at Timothy's emerging leadership. Um, Paul sees that God has a plan to continue God's work even after Paul has gone. And by God's grace, we can pass the torch to the next generation. Time marches on, and this guarantees that we will have our day, our day will pass, and others will come to take our place. Others will, still the, will, will steer the course Others will speak, others' feet will make the journey, and others' hearts will set the agenda. Training the next generation is the great challenge of leadership in every generation. And I see this in our church, too. Um, I rejoice whenever I see the work of Christ going forward in the young people and in the next generation. Having been on many Peru outreaches, with your children. <laughs> I've seen this light come on in them as they share the gospel from their hearts because they realize they have the good news and that it needs to be told. And it's not just in Peru, but many times in Raleigh as well. The second message in Paul's letter to Timothy is to rekindle your spiritual gifts. If you Pick up in verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So in this verse we are reminded that God does not tell us to be afraid. Although we hear that in the world, you know, that we should be afraid we're going to get sick or be afraid that 
we're going to get old, or there's terrorism, or the economy's bad. Um, but we need not be afraid of losing our job, or losing our house, or worrying about our family. Um, the list could go on and on. While all of these things are important, none of these situations, mentioned or not mentioned, is cause for the Christian to fear. And when it says God has not given us a spirit of fear, that is a, a word there that is in Greek, uh, cowardice or timidity. And it's never used in a, in a good sense. Uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Spirit of fear speaks of a fearfulness and timidity and a cowardice in the face of hostility. In Timothy's case, it was the fear of the unknown future that would not include Paul helping him in his ministry. He knew that Paul would not always be there. And Paul wrote this letter to Timothy shortly before he was executed for preaching the necessity of faith in Christ. And Timothy was fearful of losing this spiritual father in his life and his mentor, Paul. And he was afraid of ending up in prison like Paul and afraid of receiving the same sentence of death as Paul. Timothy felt that he had much to fear, but Paul writes to Timothy to tell him that the fear he is experiencing is not from God and therefore must be resisted. For God has given us a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear. In other uh, places, this phrase spirit of power is translated as mighty works or strength. It was the Spirit of God that came upon the timid, fearful disciples and transformed them into bold, transformed them into bold apostles in the book of Acts. Peter, for example, went from being fearful and cowardly in the presence of the servant girl uh, to being bold before the Jewish leaders. The Holy Spirit brings courage, not fear. In verse 7, it also says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. Jesus said in the book of John, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This point is very important. 1 John 4.13 explains, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he, because as he is, so also we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For love has to do, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, "I love God and hates his brother," he is a liar, for he does not know. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Well, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So perfect love casts out fear. 
God has given us the spirit of power and of love. And then it says a spirit of self-control or discipline for thinking correctly. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of self-control. The Spirit of God gives power and love and also brings self-control by transforming us to become more like Christ. In Jude 1.24, it says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We are not afraid, but work boldly and confidently, knowing that if we are united with Christ, we are more than conquerors. He who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Second Timothy 1 verse 7 tells us we already have everything we need to do God's will. Don't say, Lord, give me more faith. Say, Lord, unleash the faith that I already have. Now, you've heard the lies. I've heard them, too. That we aren't qualified to do this. We aren't important. We can't. We don't have what it takes. Those thoughts don't come from God. We are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and refuse to be intimidated. And so in continuing in verses 8 through 12, Paul writes, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And that is why I'm suffering as I am. So Paul was identifying himself as a teacher, an apostle, and appointed to preach the gospel and connected this with suffering. He said, if anyone does these things, if anyone preaches the truth and boldly, there will come suffering. And it says, Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. So note here that Paul says, Do not be ashamed, in verse 8, and in verse 12, that I am not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the Lord, not ashamed of the Lord's people, not ashamed of being a prisoner serving God. Paul was saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed because I am in chains in Rome. Paul understood that he was the Lord's prisoner, meaning that he was there by God's design. He had no complaints, no blaming, no whining, no, I don't deserve this. 
Paul writes, be bold, be a bold witness, and bold witnessing and suffering always go together. But we can be bold because of what God has done for us. He saved us by his grace. Grace came to us in Christ. Christ gave us the gospel. Death has been defeated. Everlasting life is ours through Christ. This is what we preach. This is why we suffer. We know that God will take care of us to the end. Therefore, reject fear. Stand strong for the faith. And embrace suffering when it comes. Ministry and suffering go hand in hand. Paul preached without fear because he is saved by God. He was chosen by God, and he was protected by God. Nothing happened to him apart from God's plan. So even in the dark confines of the Roman jail, under a sentence of death, knowing that his days were numbered, he had peace, assurance, confidence, and boldness. And that is why he comes to the triumphant conclusion in verse 12. I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Paul said, refuse to be intimidated. And he could have said, I know what I have believed, or I know how much I have believed, or I know when I believed, or I know why I believed. But he chose to emphasize, I know whom I have believed. As Spurgeon wrote, Jesus was a distinct person to the Apostle Paul, so real as to be known to him as a, man's, a man knows a friend. Paul knew nobody else so well as he knew the Lord. The Lord is able to keep that which we have entrusted to him. So the fourth message in Paul's second letter to Timothy was recommit to the gospel message. In verse 13, this is what you have heard from me. Keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul tells Timothy to keep the blueprint of truth as he had received it. He was to guard it against those who would corrupt it, change it, amend it, or dilute it in any way. And it needs to be guarded. The gospel has never changed and is in fact greatly needed today. Once we stop keeping it and guarding the truth, it soon becomes changed to meet the passing fads of the season. We do not have permission to change the gospel. We are told to hold the truth as it has been given to us in the word of God. Hold it, guard it, then share it. <coughs> God did not give us his word as a first draft, so we can't take out the things that we don't like. He gave us the final finished version. And if we don't guard it, someone will try to change it. People have tried to change it throughout church history. 
and is the duty of every generation to keep and guard the sacred truth of God. So that was Paul's fourth point, recommit the mess to the gospel message. And lastly, to respond to God's call. In verses 15 through 18, he says, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, only Phygelus and Hermogenes, well, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. <coughs> so Paul mentions uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes, who had uh, turned out to be sort of fair-weather friends that uh, deserted him. And what a crushing blow this must have been. I mean, Paul was a very passionate man. He worked with a lot of people um, on some very difficult things. And how crushing it must have been for some of them to abandon him. People he loved had turned against him. People he thought he could trust. Um, people <coughs> that he poured his life out to. But that's not the whole story. Even in this moment of crisis, some chose to stay and respond in faith. And Paul mentions the man Onesiphorus, who had, when he heard that Paul was in prison, came to Rome and searched until he found him. Onesiphorus proved a friend in need is a friend indeed. When they visit you in jail, you know it's a real friend. And his coming to visit Paul must have been a real breath of fresh air in a dark and dreary Roman prison. So as we stand back and look at 2 Timothy 1, Paul's message to his timid yet loyal protege is clear. Timothy, stand fast for the gospel. Be strong in the Lord. Never be ashamed of what you believe. And don't be ashamed of me because I am in chains. Remember that God has given us all that we need to be strong in the Lord when we consider all that God has done for us, all that Christ has provided for us, and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. There is every reason to have courage. We live in amazing times, and God is at work doing great things, changing hearts and changing lives one by one, as He always has. Around me I see the moral decay of some of the mainline denominations as they change their leadership to adopt more and more liberal things. Um, and this discourages me, but these things were known to God from the beginning, that this would happen, and they're clearly predicted in the Bible. But let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ultimately, it is God himself who stands behind the gospel message. The truth does not depend on us, but on the Lord himself. And he will preserve the truth and will cause the light of the gospel to shine in the darkness. 
The second Timothy is a heartfelt letter that changed Timothy's life. And if you wonder how Timothy responded, uh, the answer comes at the end of Hebrews. Um, when the author of Hebrews in verse 23 writes, in chapter 13, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released from prison. Timothy was in prison and he was released. Timothy got the letter and he became bold and he went out and shared the gospel with passion and eventually was arrested. But he was released. It's just a small note there, but I'm glad it's there. Paul's letter changed the course of Timothy's life. God has given us a spirit of power, and we one of the ways that we use that is the power of prayer. Um, through prayer, we have God's presence, or we can be in God's presence. <clears throat> in the Bible, it says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them, Matthew 18, 20. And through prayer, we have access to the throne of God. In Hebrews 4 and 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With God, we are never alone. God hears and answers our prayers anytime and anywhere. And we have power through God's word. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me walk upon my high places, it says in Habakkuk 3.19. And through God's word we gain courage. God has given us so much. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are God's children. We are Christ's friend. We are chosen and appointed by Christ to bear fruit. We are a slave to righteousness, not fear. God is our Father. We are a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are members of Christ's body. We are God's handiwork. We were born to God's work. We are future citizens of heaven. We are hidden in Christ, and Christ is our life. We are chosen by God. We are what we are only by God's grace. We were born to resemble Christ. We have been given so much. Let not fear hold us back. I love this t-shirt I've seen that says, Property of God. <laughs> I, like, I like to think about that when I'm feeling small. <laughs> um, So we should refuse to be intimidated and respond to God's call. Don't say, give me more faith. Say, Lord, unleash the faith that I already have. And that's my message. So we could pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for those that you've used to influence us. 
to come to faith, be they family or friends. Lord, we remember where we came from and are grateful for the new life that we have in Christ. Lord, rekindle our faith that you've given us and show us how to unleash it to do your work in the world. Thank you for the power of your spirit that gives us courage, love, and a sound mind, and that casts out fear. And Lord, continue to show us today how we can love others and share the truth of God and your Son, Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.